Good morning. It, is, it has come to my attention that some of you cannot wait for me to stop talking about a wall because this array of tile is really getting to your OCD. <laughs> and I've heard, dude, you got to close the gaps. you got to clean some of these things off. Like, all of this is symbolic, okay? This all meant something. This was brilliantly designed. And you guys are just like, I need that off the stage. Because I am like flaring up the whole time. Show hands. This bothers you? <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, as of today, we're no longer talking about walls. Or after today, we're no longer talking about walls. We're talking about ships. Ships. The worship team loves when I bring boats on stage, and so I've been looking for any excuse. Uh, but we don't have long here. Uh, I do have sort of an official date. Uh, this is the 5th, right? Today's the 5th, uh, and next week, what's 7 plus 5? Quick, someone, okay? Thank you. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be here next week. Uh, the following will be the 19th, correct? Right, yeah, so the following, the 19th. It will be our first day to not be here. So uh, we got pushed back by Encore just uh, one week. So we'll be here next week. The following week, we will be at uh, the College Auditorium. Uh, really, really cool venue. If, if, that's, if, if that seems like something that's not a good thing to you, uh, it's, it's a really cool venue. It works very well for us. Uh, we've used it in the past. The college is very gracious to allow us to use that. So plenty of parking, tons of room. And uh, thank you for staying with us. I know for the fa- last, like, five weeks, this place has been just uh, packed. And it's like, listen, I brought a friend, and we didn't hardly have a seat. And we apologize for that. But we will have a lot of seats uh, very soon. So, Nehemiah chapter 5. Uh, last week, we talked about Nehemiah chapter 4, and we skipped to Nehemiah chapter 6. And it was all about uh, building the wall. Now, uh, you guys know that Nehemiah came as a governor, and he was uh, governing the people. And as governor, he said, let's build a wall. And they began to do that. You guys know that uh, rocks are always, especially when we talk about building stones, uh, are always or almost always in the Bible uh, referring to you. It's the church. It's the people. The people are the building stones. And together we are making one temple for our God. And so that's the analogy that we're working on. And we're talking about building the wall, but I intentionally skipped chapter 5 because as we're building the wall, there's something that we have to look at. And for some of us, it is uh, the most pressing issue in the wall. And uh, let's talk about that. Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we ask that you speak to our hearts, that you speak to us, that you speak through us. Uh, God, we just, we just pray that you will uh, be with us, commune with us, show us, teach, rebuke, correct, and train us in righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so, let's, let's get to this. Nehemiah, I'm in the Old Testament right now. Listen, all the scripture is going to be on the screen. No one expects you to come in here as a Bible scholar. Uh, in, in fact, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one as you exit today. They're, they're there for you. They're free. Uh, if you want a little nicer one, we have some on the wall that you can buy for this. It's not a profit for us. It's the same price that we buy them for. Uh, so we have those to give you, or we have those if you've been looking for something you're like, I want to read, but I really want it encompassed in leather. Uh, we've got that for you. Okay, 
Uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, Old Testament, Bible's 66 books in the Bible. It's like a little library of books. Old Testament's first 39 books. And then uh, the New Testament is the next uh, 27 books. Jesus is the dividing line for that, okay? So we're in the Old Testament. This is pre-Jesus, uh, but the analogy works. Nehemiah chapter 5. Uh, so what's happening is Nehemiah comes to govern the people. Jerusalem has been torn down and is in shambles. The temple has been rebuilt, much smaller, so much smaller that the people would weep when they see it, but they have a temple. And now the walls are in shambles. They've been building the walls up, and as the walls are coming up, what they realize is what many of you have realized as your walls are coming up, that life inside the wall was supposed to be some sort of utopia. And it ain't. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and I'm going to live for Jesus and everyone's going to be nice and we're going to drink coffee and play cards and we're just going to be so hugging on each other and everything. is. And then you just are like, wow, that... That Christian was a jerk. What happened? Where I'm a Christian and I'm a jerk. What happened? Or I'm trying to do the right thing and I'm still struggling with my emotions, my anger. I'm not happy. I thought life inside the wall was supposed to be different. It is. Okay? (laughs) And if it's not... We've got something terribly wrong. And so this is what Nehemiah was facing, is there's a wall coming up, but he noticed that life was not great inside the wall for many people. For some, it was fabulous. What had happened was, as the people would move home, there was really no source of income. You know, it was sort of a post-apocalyptic looking world. And it's hard to grow your crops. It's hard to uh, have industry in this ghost town looking city. It was in shambles. But as always, taxes have to be paid. Am I right or am I right? Taxes have to be paid. And apparently, apparently, there was some sort of electrical congestion adding kilowatt hour cents. Anybody getting that? Some of y'all just hadn't looked at your bill. You're like, crap, that's a thing. Yeah, it just happened to your last bill and you didn't even know about it. All of these things are, are compiling, but there's no income coming in. And so this is where the people begin to get in trouble. And so they need a bank, but there's no bank. But you know what there is? Rich dudes. And so I go to this guy who has, and I say, hey, buy my land, because that's all I have. And so uh, they they started making all of these transactions that were really, really one-sided. And Nehemiah finds out about it, and he's ticked, because they have a law that they live according to, and a lot of it is contrary to their law. Okay, here we go. So Nehemiah approaches the men of influence in the city, and this is what he brings to him. He says, Return their fields, vineyards, olive groves, houses to them immediately, along with the percentage of the money, grain, new wine, and fresh oil that you have been assessing them. He went to them and said, 
And know that life in the wall is good for you because you're getting richer, but they're getting poorer. You are doing an injustice to the people inside the wall. What's the point in building the wall if everyone can't have a nice little life inside the wall? It's supposed to be better in here. You are supposed to be better than the bank in here. You are supposed to be better than the, the, the slumlord that breaks your kneecaps for rent in here. Life is supposed to be different inside the wall. And so Nehemiah is a pretty heavy-handed governor, and he goes to the people, and he begins to tell them. And, and they, they responded. The people actually responded. Now, I could read you all of chapter 5, but, I, but for time's sake, I, I, I would love for you to go and read that. And they responded. They did the right thing, and it unified the people. I'm just reading this just, just for haha's sake. Nehemiah 13, 25. This is in a different time. Uh, the people were supposed to be marrying only within their own tribe, and they went out and they were marrying, and they began to take the other people's gods, and Nehemiah found out about it. And I just love this, verse 25. I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men, and pulled out their hair. I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives, your sons or yourselves. I mean, he's pretty heavy-handed. Can you imagine somebody pulling your beard? You can't imagine anybody pulling your hair. No, I don't even know who said that, but I think it was Randy. Okay. I had to, Randy. You set yourself up. You put the ball in the team, I'm going to hit it. Okay, here we go. Nehemiah took ownership of what was in the wall. Now listen, church, I want you to build the wall. I want you to build your family. I want the church to be built up. We are a holy temple of the Lord, but just because you go to church, just because we have some of these walls doesn't mean that we are participating inside of God's will inside of those walls. You may be a believer. You may be in the kingdom of God, and we may be turning people away from our God who set up good things for us to do that we're not doing. And it's a tragedy. You know people in this world, and this is a sad reality. There are some people in this world that can quote Scripture but may also be one of your very least favorite people. Randy may be thinking that about me right now. <laughs> they can quote Scripture but may be some of your least favorite people. Why? Because we are not, we are not practicing the teachings of Jesus. And the teachings of Jesus lead to peace and lead to life. And the Bible says that we may be someone who calls out on the name of, of the Father. And you may even make it to heaven, but just as one escaping narrowly through the flames. Listen, the teachings of Jesus lead to peace for you and everyone else. When we follow the teachings of Jesus, it leads to a more peaceful life. It is a better way to live. And so uh, the whole point in what we're saying today, there may be a couple pills that are tough to swallow. They are for me as well. But 
as always, I want to lead you into the life that Jesus has for you. And if we try to keep one foot inside and outside the wall, it's going to lead to frustration because blessing doesn't come through curses. Okay? Salt water and fresh water don't pour out of the same faucet. I can't sow seeds of discord and reap seeds of blessing, right? And so it leads to uh, discomfort. It leads to uh, incontentment. I don't know if that's a word, but today it is. And so you, you see all through the Bible where someone has to take ownership, and they have to say, look, this is not right. This is not from the Lord. This is not the way we do things. And it is not pleasant at the time. In the same way, in Hebrews, it says that no discipline, when it's received, seems pleasant at the time. But it is for your good. When the Father disciplines us, when the Father shows us, when the Father says, I need to take something away, it isn't pleasant at the time, but it's for our good. When Nehemiah pulled men's beards out and he slapped people around outside on the city walls and he kicked people out of the city and he did all of these things, it was for the good of the people because he was trying to build something great. And someone always had a good idea, but good stands in the way of great all the time. And so there had to be a man to stand on the wall and separate the good from the great. You are going to have to stand on your walls and separate good from great. God is giving us an opportunity to live something different in the way that He has called us to do it in a different way. And there are going to be times when you get pushback and you're going to have to say, no, that doesn't come into these walls. And, and there's a word. It starts with a C and it ends with conflict, okay? Conflict is not your favorite part of life. But who told you that it's not a part of your faith? Now, there's a godly way to do it. But at some point, you're going to have to, to, to have conflict. We had a lady come up and give a powerful testimony about coming out of prison, having been addicted to and even selling drugs, and it immediately comes back the day she gets out of the joint, and she has to have conflict. Why? Because I have built walls. I am part of something great that God is doing, and I cannot allow that to be part of my life any longer. Why? Because I'm too good for everyone now? No, because I'm not good enough. Because I can't protect myself outside of these walls. This is never an analogy to hide from the world, okay? This is something uh, proverbial. This is something that I carry with me. These walls are something that I carry with me. It is the protection of the Holy Spirit. It is the armor of God that you will find in Ephesians 6. Nobody's writing that down. You need to write that down. It is the armor of God that you find in Ephesians 6. It is something that I carry with me wherever I go because I have to have protection because my enemy is stronger than me. And so you have, uh, you have Moses. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and the Lord gives him the Ten Commandments, and he comes down from the mountain, and he's, he's like, look at the tablets I got from the Lord! And he looks down, and the people are having, let's call it revelries, 
around a golden calf. He's been gone for 40 days. They've made themselves a new God, and they're now having a party with no clothes on. 40 days. He gets ticked. He chunks the tablets at him. The tablets break. He goes down. He takes their golden calf down that they have worshipped and said is their new God. And he, he melts it down. And if you, if you read in Deuteronomy, he actually grinds it into powder and throws it all in the river. Do you know how much wealth he threw away? He was ticked. And I bet they're like, Dude, let's repurpose the gold. Let's repurpose the gold. I know we did a bad thing, but... And he says, no, 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 none of that is as important as protecting what's in these walls. You won't take any of this gold with you to heaven. You won't take any of your possessions to heaven. But the kingdom, that's what goes. This, inside of the wall, is the most important thing. Far more important than any possessions. Uh, back there on the computer, I'm going to skip. Let's go to John chapter 2. Jesus took ownership of his walls. Remember, this always represents people, and the people are being built together in a temple. Jesus is literally going to walk into the temple in John chapter 2. Listen to this, John two thirteen. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of their temple with their sheep and oxen. Conflict. Jesus did it. He also poured out the money changers' things, uh, uh, coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. So uh, I understood this a little bit. Pastor Dusty actually did some research on this and told me this is what we think was going on. Uh, you had to bring in a certain animal for your sins. And so let's say you bring a bull or let's say you bring a lamb, depending on what it is. Uh, guys would set up in the temple, which you're not supposed to do, but they would set up in the temple and they would have to examine your sacrifice because uh, the sacrifice had to be the best of whatever you had. It had to cert meet certain criteria, which is why Jesus, being our sacrificial lamb, uh, could not have a broken bone. That's why the thieves around him, their knees were broken uh, because they died from asphyxiation. You ever, you ever done pull-ups? You all know that two-minute challenge? Can you hang for two minutes? You have to pull up to breathe so when they break their kneecaps, they can no longer push up and they suffocate to death. So that's, that's what was happening. Uh, Jesus, they didn't break his knees. They actually put a spear through his sides because he couldn't have a broken bone. So there's an examination for these sacrificial animals and someone would examine your animal and go, mm, that doesn't look, no, this is not an appropriate sacrificial animal. But I tell you what, we have one in the back that we could sell you. And so uh, you would buy theirs, and they would take yours and put it in the back. And then the next guy, they'd go, mm, that's not a good one, but I have one in the back that we could sell you. And they would take that last one that didn't pass last time, so that it's a scam. They're running a scam out of the temple, and everybody knows it. But you can't go sacrifice something that's not approved, Right? And so uh, this is really coming from the top down. And if you'll notice that after Jesus does this, the people actually really turn to him. Because they know, they know what's going on. 
And so this actually uh, is, is one more reason the Pharisees want to kill him is because he's exposing their hypocrisy. And one more reason that the people actually love him. If you think that's crazy that he did it in chapter 2, look, right before he dies, he does it again. He goes and turns over. You think he just went into the temple mad one time. He did it multiple times because he was showing them what is in here has to be protected. It's about the Lord. It's not about you. Life is better in the teachings of Jesus, and they weren't following the teachings of Jesus. And so inside the walls, we follow the teachings of Jesus. It, it was sort of ironic, wasn't it, that the people who were going to confess their sins were being sinned against. <laughs> and so the righteous people were the ones who weren't bringing an animal for that sin. Because if you confess that skin, sin, now you admit that you're running a scam. And so it was the righteous, it was the ones who were supposed to be protecting the walls, who were scamming the people, who were coming into the walls for sanctuary. And so instead of becoming sanctuary, it became abusive. You ever met that person? I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and I had a lot of kids whose parents were pretty cool with them going to church, and their parents didn't mind reading Scripture with them as long as they were trying to use that Scripture to manipulate the behavior of the children, never applying it to themselves. Those kids weren't dumb. They knew exactly what was going on. When we, when we act abusively inside of these walls, we're playing a very dangerous game. Because God won't have it. He won't put up with it for long. Just like with the Pharisees. See, they weren't confessing their own sins, but they would take the confessions of others. And church, let me tell you one of the most important things that happens inside of this wall is confessing our own sin because it is our sin and our depravity that qualifies us for a Savior. And when we don't confess our sins, we are saying that we don't need a Savior. There is safety inside of these walls to confess your sins. I read you a scripture, or I, I quoted a scripture earlier, Hebrews 12, 5. Do not take light the Lord's rebuke for those He loves, He disciplines. Do you understand what it means for God to discipline you as a son or a daughter? That means that after you sinned, you did not stop being a son or daughter. The fact that God disciplines means you're still in, and He still cares enough to mold you into being something better. Don't fear the discipline 
fear yourself rejecting God. And that's what we do when we don't confess our sins is we reject God. We reject our Savior. And who are you trying to fool anyways? You know what it looks like? Can you imagine? Can you imagine us sinning against the Lord, not confessing it, and acting like it never happened, and God is just like, You know what it would look like? It would, okay, Bodie, come, come help me out. Bodie, I, let's play hide and seek. Let's see how this goes, okay? Okay, hide. It's ridiculous. Not only did I watch you come up here, dude, you're skinny, but you're not that skinny. Thank you. Good job. You can go back now. When we don't own up to our sin, when you were a kid, did you ever have that one friend that even though you were like, I found you, they're like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Yeah, no, I swear, dude, I did. you didn't touch me. You didn't touch me means you didn't find me. I've been that kid with God before. I didn't do nothing wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't swallowed by a whale. You didn't touch me. You didn't see it. We we run from God like if He doesn't like if He didn't watch us go to our hiding place. I mean, when God plays hide and go seek. He, he's not counting to 30 against the tree with his eyes closed. Dude, he's watching. Listen to this one. I, lo- I, lo- this is, I, I, really, I really like this verse. Maybe, maybe you want to go home and read this one too. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 9. Uh, this is Jesus. He, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was a chief tax collector. Let, let me explain what tax collectors did. So uh, during this time, Rome had taken over Jerusalem and much of the known world. Uh, and what they found was, as spread out and as vast as their empire was, uh, it was easier to allow people to govern themselves, to be able to give them their own uh, figurehead government, and to give them their own religions, let them live and do commerce and everything the way that they do it. Um, now, this wasn't for everyone. They made a lot of exceptions for the Jews because they were so stubborn. Uh, but it was easier to monitor them, allowing them to have their own things uh, and as long as they paid taxes. Well, what's the problem with paying taxes? People cheat. They cheat on their taxes. Hey, did y'all know that's how the jukebox got started so big? Did y'all know the mob was using that as a front? They were laundering money and doing all these things with drugs and whatnot. And uh, people come in and be like, how do you make this much money off your Chinese food restaurant or whatever? And they're like, jukebox. Because you couldn't tell how much money went into it. And so those guys were like, man, y'all have to get a jukebox. They're making a fortune. So everybody had one. Anyways, uh, that's, that's, what they're, that's what they're doing. That's why you stick to the notes. Now, uh, so, 
Rome got smart, and they were like, all right, go, go to the city and find, find the weasels. I mean, find the dude that would sell their own mother for a buck, and let's employ them, and they'll collect taxes because they know everybody, right? And so the tax collectors were traitors to their people. Because Rome is, is wanting an unreal amount of money for their taxes. And, and this, little, this little weasel down the road, this little dude that knows me, I can't cheat on any of my taxes because he's telling on me. And so do you know how much they hated? For example, Jesus ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. And you know what the people were mad about? Tax collectors. Like, He's going to be a rabbi and he's going to eat with tax collectors? They're, they're ticked about it. That is how they view them. They're traitors. They are scum of the earth. And this is the chief. Okay? It says Zacchaeus, who was chief tax collector, and he was rich. They're taking a cut off the top on everything. They're traitors to their people. They are hated. Okay, there we go. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abram. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus said, how do I get in these walls? And when I get in these walls, that's going to be the most important thing. And what did Jesus say? He said, Zacchaeus, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to come down to the front and you're going to have to pray this prayer with me. And then you have to be baptized. And then I'm going to check your tithing. And he didn't do any of that. He said, I see your heart. You come on in to these walls. I put no more hurdle, no more stumbling block in front of you. And now Zacchaeus confesses what he has done. He says, look, I've done it and I will pay it back. He's not putting the sin on anybody else. He's not saying society. It's not culture. These people bullied me, so I had to be a tax collector to get my revenge. He's not putting it on anyone else. He's owning his own stuff. He didn't get clean first. He comes straight to Jesus. He made it right after he was received. Jesus went and ate at his house, and then he began to do the right thing. Some of you are like, hey, I get it. I have to confess. I have to be perfect and Jesus will take me. You will never get there using that map. First off, you come to Jesus. And then because he makes you clean, you go out and do things. If you're trying to do it opposite, you'll never get there. All you will receive is frustration. 
Zacchaeus valued Jesus over money. Didn't that look, was that not a little bit like what Moses did? Pouring all the gold into the river? Zacchaeus was like, listen, I have found something better than all that I have. So, so, so you have somebody outside of the wall willing to give up everything to get in, and you have people inside the wall willing to get everything to get the money. You see the difference? You see why Jesus is condemning the Pharisees? You see why he's on their case? You see why he's trying to protect the wall? He's trying to show them, he's like, hey, that's not, that's not a thing. We don't do that in here. And he won't allow it long because this is his temple and he cares about his house. Did Jesus, the one that we serve, the one that we are here for, did he not go turn over the, the, the money changers and the people uh, scamming with the sacrifices? Did he not do that then? Will he not do it now? And you say, man, there's all these pastors getting exposed, and they think they're... The, who do you think's exposing them? Who do you think's exposing them? He's still turning over tables. Who do you think you're playing with when we hide? God is going to expose it. Zacchaeus called it what it was. He didn't try to get around his sin. He owned it, and he was accepted. Do you see that? The guilty got in, and the righteous were booted out. But it was self-righteousness. God looks at hearts. The ones who confess their own depravity are liberated. Did you ever do something bad? when you were young and you lied about it or you hid it from your parents and then you got caught and you got in trouble and as you were in your room in trouble you were like I should have done this a year ago it's over now did you ever do that man, man I broke the screen door I did the thing I, 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 I whatever and they accused me but I lied my way out of it and finally it came and it was like thank God that was on my conscience were you so happy to be caught? You know what the difference is? You fooled your parents. <laughs> God already knows. He's just waiting for you to fess up. So the point in talking about this is you won't have it on your conscience anymore. There may be, there may be backlash Maybe lifelong backlash. But whatever it is won't be the same as hiding from God for the rest of your life. Church, if we don't confess, it will be a frustrating life. It will be a fruitless life. Because not confessing is the same as rejecting God's forgiveness. And He has forgiveness for you the chief tax collector swindling God's people later you'll have the apostle Paul murdering God's people the ones who found him in the tomb were ex 
working girls. You haven't done anything that won't be forgiven. The only thing that you will do is not ask for forgiveness, rejecting the Holy Spirit. And that will be the one thing that goes unforgiven, is rejecting the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's shunning God's forgiveness. That's a frustrating life to live, church. Listen to what, what, what the Lord says. Okay, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. I love 1 John. If you've ever questioned, am I really a Christian? 1 John is your book. There's only five chapters in it. Listen to this. This is the message we have heard from Him and declared to you. God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's not confessing. If we say we have no sin, that means you have sin, you just haven't confessed it. Either to yourself or to God, doesn't matter. You have sin. All of us have sin. Listen to verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Did you, did you see that part? If we confess our sins, as long as it's not a weird one. Did you read that part? No, because it's not there. If we confess our sins, as long as they happen pre-salvation, after you're saved, you're supposed to be perfect. Oh, that wasn't there either. What sin? Sin. Anything less than perfection. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what stands between you and peace? Forgiveness. Do you know what stands between you and forgiveness? Confession. It starts with confession. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Man, God wants you to come clean to him. So we're going to do that now. I've got a microphone. I'll pass it around, and everybody's going to confess their sins. Okay? No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. What does that mean? The Bible says confess your sins to the church. I don't know what that means. You, you, you're still confusing a building with church. This is the grain building. It's going to go through a little bit of a remodel. We've got some cracks in the back wall that animals live in. Okay? It's just a building. It will fall apart. If this burns to the ground, we'll just start having church in your houses. You are the church. And so when we confess, that, 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 that's not you come up here and grab a microphone and say this. Is, you, you say it to the one who needs to know, and you say it to God. Why? Well, can I just say it to God? God works through His people. He makes that completely clear. And the Bible says we confess to the church. So that doesn't mean you have to get on Facebook and air it all out. Okay, It means that you go to whoever is your spiritual authority and you say, this is what I've done. And I do it too. Dusty has room to fire me. I have a mentor that I meet with on Tuesday mornings and he knows all my junk. And he is not impressed by me in the least. 
We have to have someone who is a spiritual authority to us that we get this out to. We have to go before God confessing these things. Job does it. David does it. Daniel confesses the sins of the whole nation. You go on and on. You find it all throughout the Bible. We try to get around it, but the godly don't try to get around it. They confess. Call it what it is. Get the sin out. Romans 10, 8 through 10. Go ahead and come up, worship team. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. This is part of it. We know, you know, that I need a Savior to save me from my sins because sin separates me from God. You know that the world needs a Savior because the world's sin separates the world from God. But do you know that you need a Savior because your sin separates you from God? And so as you begin to build these tile, my fear for you, and this is not the message that I planned on preaching today. I had to go where the text took me, and it was overwhelming. This is not what I wanted to talk about today. We were gonna, we were, I was going to do ships, and we were going to do relationships, and it was going to be so clever and cute, and everybody was going to pat the pastor on the back and be like, that was awesome, man. And I'm not going to get that today. I'm almost assured. But today we talk about a ship, but it's ownership. In church, I, th- this is not a downer message. If you've got something heavy on your heart, obviously you're going to walk out heavy, and I get that. I am sympathetic towards you because I have many times had to have that conversation. <sighs> I didn't want to tell you this, but we all have. It's part of it. You're human. But if we don't confess, we reject forgiveness. It's a big deal. And church, I want to see you go out. I want to see you be the salt of the earth. I want to see you be the light on a hill that everyone in darkness runs to. And you want to be that. And so you've started putting all the things in place. And you've started cleaning up the blocks. You've started building these walls. And I'm going to build it back better. And I'm going to do it better. But there's still a looming slight bit of depression because even inside it's not what I thought that it was going to be and without confession it will always be that so what I say I say out of love to keep you from frustration I want the Holy Spirit to work through you in a big way but we can't have the Holy Spirit work through us and reject God's forgiveness at the same time And so this is how salvation begins. And so for many of you, you're like, dude, I I didn't know that. The only time I've heard salvation was I was at a funeral one time and they were talking about it and and apparently just everyone's got it. No, (laughs) no, we confess our own sin and our own depravity to God and we receive his forgiveness. And while there is no mention of a a prayer in the Bible that saves you. That's not how this works. I do wonder, I do wonder what you're going to tell Satan when he comes to you and goes, see see there? See there? 
you did it again. You're not saved. You're not a child of God. You're not forgiven. How could you be forgiven? You're still doing it. And he just whispers lies, 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 lies. And I wonder, do you have a good footing that you can go back to and say, no, 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 Satan. I know. I know that I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I want you to have that. So are you asking us to do something unbiblical? I'm asking you to do something that I think is wise. I want you to have in your life a time that you can go back to so that you can throw it in the face of Satan and say, no, Satan, listen, I confessed my stuff and I gave it to Jesus. And if you try to convince me I'm crazy, I've got witnesses. Classically, the church calls it getting saved. And I want you, if you have never given your stuff over to Jesus, confessed your sins, and hey, by the way, if you've done that, but then you, you still got something, you still need to give that. Don't reject God's forgiveness. But if you've never done it, church, I want you to get saved. I want you to give your stuff to Jesus and see what life is like inside the wall because we can pretend in here all day long, and you can go into your garage and pretend to be a car, but that doesn't make you one. We build these walls, we do these things, not just for kicks, but because we want the Holy Spirit to work through us. And so I put these walls up so that I am not possessed by Satan, but I am possessed. I am pressed down, shaken together, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. You're like, I've never really met many people like that. You've never met many people who have confessed their stuff either. <laughs> you be the one. It begins with confession, and it is a lifestyle of Christianity, of following Jesus, that will not be frustrating to you, but, but will be energizing, will be reviving to you. I want to pray for you. We don't do this often. Uh, but if you are one of those who says, you know what, I've not confessed. I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven uh, when I die. I've rejected God's forgiveness because I have never admitted that I've done anything wrong. I've never talked to God about any of these things. If you want to do that, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to play real emotional music and try to talk you into a decision. That doesn't last, and I've seen that my whole life, and, and uh, it, it, it's a bad taste in my mouth. But here's what I do want you to do. I want you to talk to somebody about that. And I will guilt trip you all day long into that conversation, okay? I don't mind doing that. But I want everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes. And uh, if, if you can honestly say, you know what? I have never confessed my stuff to Jesus. I don't think I'm saved. Pastor, we need to have that conversation. Will you slip your hand up just so that I can see you and then you can be held accountable to that? Will you slip your hand up and say, you know what? I need to do that. I need to confess. I need to give some stuff to Jesus. Okay, okay, I'm seeing a couple hands. Listen, I'm not calling anybody out. We're not going to do anything weird with this. I just want to see who you are. And I'm going to ask you, those of you who are raising your hand, I'm going to ask you, will you take your connection card and write on there, uh, I raised my hand and slip that in the basket. Nobody's, we're, we're not putting this on social media. No, nobody's trying to embarrass anyone in this place. Uh, I just want to give me your phone number. I want to call you. Let's have this conversation. That's all I'm asking. If you say, I don't want to do that, I don't want to drop it in the offering plate, awesome, okay? Would you come up when service is over? 
We've got people who are here to pray with you. We've got people who are here uh, to, to be a part of this conversation, and they will be here. Uh, would you grab one of us? Would you grab the worship team and have that conversation before the day is over? But I am urging you, have that conversation, whether you put that in the basket or you do that today. And Lord, I pray for your people, God, that you will move mightily through us, Lord. God, we know that you are a faithful God, and where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And we praise you because you did that for us. We don't deserve it, Lord, but you are awesome. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Bastards are going to come forward. Uh, if there's something that you would like for us to know to walk through with you, we want you to write it down on that connection card, put it in the basket also. That's part of the way that we, uh, that we worship this through our tithe and offering. So slip that in the basket as well, but please stand and worship with us.